So welcome back to part two of the Soccer Hockey's UEFA Champions League group stage preview, where we look at groups E to H. All right. So I guess without further ado, let's look at Group E, Jack. So we have Bayern Munich, Benfica, FC Barcelona, and Dynamo Kiev. Where do you so want to start? So we all know who's finishing group. first in this group. So <laughs> yeah, let's, I mean, hey, let's get it out. Let's of get the other three out of the way first. Yeah. Let's start with everybody's favorite team in this group. You know, everybody's rooting for this team, and that's Dynamo Kiev. Okay, who am I kidding? No one's rooting for Dynamo Kiev, but you know, um, the random energy. Dynamo Kiev is at least sort of interesting, though. You think so? Because for those of you who listened to part one, I spent a lot of time gushing about Shakhtar Donetsk and their ability to not necessarily be a team that goes far, but a team that can cause some issues. Dinamo Kiev are technically the better team. Dinamo Kiev won the Ukrainian League last season. I think they started the Ukrainian League this season better. They, at least according to the pundits that cover Ukrainian football, have two of the three best players in the league in Viktor Sakhnikov and Mykola Shevarenko. Hmm... And yet I still just sort of like Shakhtar a little bit better. <laughs> maybe it's because of the group Shakhtar are in. But maybe if you swap Shakhtar and Dima Kiev, I could sort of look at Dima Kiev and think, okay, this is a team that could maybe cause some issues. Or maybe it's because Shakhtar beat Real Madrid last season. Or maybe it's That's because true. of uh, Shakhtar hiring Roberto De Zerbi. But I'm just not quite as confident in Dima Kiev in this group. Though I think it is a good opportunity for a player like Sagankov, a player like Shaparenko, especially players like that who, especially a player like Sagankov who is already 23 and people thought he would get his move away from the Ukraine one or two years ago and he still hasn't. And he's a player who's definitely talented enough to play in a top five league. Yeah. That's, that's, that's for sure. That's definitely for sure. Um, but, I mean, I guess the question always beckons, right? What kind of upsets can you pull in this group? Because it is a pretty challenging group, all things considered. I mean, it's probably not a lot. I mean, unless Barcelona just completely fall off the edge of the earth. I'm not I putting think that Kiev or I mean, we're not putting that out of the question. It's definitely yeah, within really. the realm of possibility. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It really is. Realistically, Dinamo Kiev are competing with Benfica. For the, for the right to go into the Europa League. Well, Benfica could potentially finish higher if, you know, cards fall their way, but Dean Mookie ever playing for the place. Because I don't think they have the talent stacked up against everyone else to finish higher than third. Fair? That's a, I guess that's a fair assessment. That is a fair assessment. Um, but I guess, to answer your question more directly, what upsets could they pull? I mean, they could pull an upset or two simply because it's incredibly inconvenient to go out to the Ukraine to play a game. Especially when you're going to have to do it as it gets colder. As we get into, like, November. (laughs) Playing playing in November in the Ukraine doesn't necessarily sound all that fun. Doesn't, especially for people in sunny Barcelona. Nope. Let's not, uh... Let's not sound too enticing. Let's let's put it that way. I think it was Dinamo Kiev who, I want to say it was three years ago now, Leon played in the group stage. And when they had to go out to the Ukraine to play that game, it was late in that uh, group stage. And man, it looked cold. <laughs> it looked well, so cold. 
not fun not fun indeed um let's let's uh i guess you know the weather element is something that people don't focus on but i suppose the climate does play a part here right it yeah. does there's definitely yeah. a reason why the ukraine has such a long winter break <laughs> why the ukrainian premier league has such a, a long winter break yep i don't know man maybe maybe you know kf have what it takes to potentially cause some upsets i don't think so i really don't think so but potentially right potentially you might they might surprise they might surprise us this team depth the one thing that they have going for them is this team has champ the same as european experience and even champions league experience they were in the champions league last season they finished third yeah. in their group last season though they were lucky to be in a group of fairgaros who are a significantly worse team than benfica but yeah. they have experience playing big teams in the champions league they went into the knockout stage in the europa league they got they beat club bruges in the round of 32 in the europa league and then they got smacked by villarreal but this team at least it's a young team but at least it has european experience and i think that's something that's going to be a massive plus for them going into this group stage all right cool and they also play they played barcelona last season in their group stage but this is a significantly different barcelona for obvious reasons for obvious reasons we'll get to that in a minute all right let's talk about benfica the portuguese giant who sort of fallen off a bit recently i mean that being said though i'm kind of interested interested to see how roman yerem check this because he was really really solid at gent 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 and he was really good for the ukrainian heroes yeah and he if he's good he fits he fills the sort of biggest need for benfica's that especially in big games this team struggles to score goals and very true they they thought they had the solution i mean they signed luke walshman beside darwin nunez who darwin nunez is still a very high potential forward but he didn't have the goal scoring that people thought he was going to have when he came, the mm. goal scoring run that people thought he was going to have when he came to benfica and yuramchuk doesn't hasn't necessarily had that either but he's at least shown a little bit more Like if Benfica is going into the end of the season and Harris Afarovic is still their leading scorer, they 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 have a problem. <laughs> a big problem that needs addressing. Um and I guess you know uh you know Tavares, yeah, favorite player, you know, a fan icon of sorts. <laughs> a fan icon of Benfica. A fan Noted icon of beloved Benfica. Benfica player Nuno Tavares. <laughs> Who fans want to uh you know punch in the face. But You know he's gone to Arsenal and they sort of brought in Gildias to replace him. Um, any thoughts on Gildias? Yeah, Gildias is talented. Yeah, I mean they didn't necessarily replace Nuno Tavares with anyone because he was just filling the occasionally will play when Alejandro Grimaldo can't play role. But at least looking at the transfers, it's sort of sad in a way, I guess, because mm. this is sort of the sign of like a young generation of Benfica Academy players being moved on because they didn't necessarily work out. Like it's not just Nuno Tavares who left. Um Florentino Luis left for Hitafe. Jota, who was once upon a time was supposed to be better than Joao Felix, has gone on the yeah. alone. Uh Chiquinho and Pedrinho both left. Um and it's a team that's I mean it has you know young prominently young Benfica academy players um, there's a player I think his name is Mresh who 
had his sort of coming out party against PSV in the qualifiers, who looks really, really good center back. But it's a team that's largely made up of more experienced players than I think we're used to with Portuguese teams. And that could work in their favor because, you know, these are all experienced, pretty talented players. But still, at the end of the day, if they can't solve the goal scoring issue, they might struggle in the league. They might not win the league again in the season. And they might struggle in Europe. I mean, by sort of as like a comparative standard, last time Benfica won the league, which I think was three years ago now, three or four years ago now, they scored over 100 goals. And last season, I think they scored in the mid to high 60s. This is a Grant, Granted, they lost to Raw Felix in that time. But true, true. I mean, it's it's still, still a very notable difference. It's still definitely a problem. And it's something that Jorge uh, Jesus, who didn't necessarily get off to the best start as Benfica manager, as I think his second round as Benfica manager last year. So it's something that has to be rectified this year. Well, I guess on that note of, uh, you know, missing goal scoring machines, right? Let's talk about Barcelona because... This will be the first time in their recent history whereby, oh, the first time in their history where they would have Lionel Messi with them, because um, he's gone on to PSG, and for the longest of, I mean, for the longest time, rather, he's always been their top scorer. So who's going to be scoring the goals for Barcelona? Who's going to be, you know, carrying that team or, you know, turning the tide, so to speak, when they are falling behind? Well, we know it won't be Antoine Griezmann. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing that really, really got me because not only did like I think you mentioned this before, not only did they lose Messi, they lost Griezmann as well. I mean, and making the sort of ingo- incomings and outgoing transfers for this Barcelona team was sort of funny because I sort of had a mini thought for every single one of these, and then it got to the very end of the outgoings, and I had to write Lionel Messi free transfer. <laughs> But that's what it sort of hit me. <laughs> that, you know, Lionel Messi's not there anymore. No, but he isn't. They lost a lot. They lost a lot of people who could have been really good players. I mean, Emerson went to Tottenham. Elijah Mariba left. Um, yeah. Carondale Flente left to Marseille, and he sort of looks a good player. Francisco Trochao hasn't looked bad for Wolves. Miron Pjanic no, left yeah. today. So I didn't even notice that until I saw it in the news today. Um, obviously, Lionel Messi. Juan Miranda could have been the heir to Jordi Alba's throne and of the players that they brought in Sergio Aguero doesn't want to play for them he'll probably be leaving in January probably Eric Garcia is meh <laughs> Memphis Depay Memphis is the answer to is... your question of who's going to score all the goals it's probably going to be Memphis Depay and yeah. then Luke De Jong is meh and Yusuf Demir is a young player who's not necessarily ready to be an FC Barcelona regular yet so when it comes to who's going to score the goals it's Memphis Depay and that's about it (laughs) which is a problem it is a big problem isn't it because they need they're probably hoping that Ansu Fati is okay they gave Ansu Fati the number 10 so I think I originally said in the podcast that they were giving it to Usman Dembele but it turns out they're giving it to Ansu Fati thank god thank god Obviously, it's it's the logical progression with Ansu Fati supposedly being the heir to the Barcelona throne. I would argue it's Pedri, but it, Pe- Pedri doesn't play in a number 10 position. It would be more fitting to give it to Ansu Fati. But they're sort of praying that Ansu Fati's knees are okay. Or knee. I think he only had an operation on one knee. But 
they're hoping that he's going to be in this team, especially because if it's the Ansu Fati at the beginning of last season, that was a really good Ansu Fati who won the league player of the month, who was scoring goals and would be a really good partner next to um, Memphis Depay. And then if you just get something out of Guzman Dembele, then you can at least get by. It's not, you know, a Champions League winning attack, but given Barcelona's situation, it's probably the best that they can hope for. A lot of Barcelona's success is probably going to come from whatever Pedri and Frankie de Jong can do for them and whatever Memphis Depay can score for them. I don't think or Luke de Jong. Luke de Jong is an experienced okay. goal scorer. He scores I mean, a lot against means... Real Madrid. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. But I don't think they're going to go far in this competition. That's just my two cents. Um... Maybe that's just the galaxy brain move from the Barcelona hierarchy that you can't concede an embarrassing comeback against Roma or Liverpool or something like that if you don't actually go far enough and have a lead late in the competition to concede that. Yeah. So yep. they're just saving Jonas. themselves from embarrassment by not getting into a situation where you can be embarrassed. Exactly. You know, playing play play it smart, man. Play it smart. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's. Let's talk about Bayern Munich if you don't have anything else to talk about Barcelona. If there's nothing to add about Barcelona, I mean. There definitely is not. I think the conversations around Barcelona have been said and reset at this point. There, yeah. There's some talent, but it's still going to be pretty reliant on the older guys. And they're only going to go really as far as Depay, De Jong, and Pedri can carry them. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I guess on to... Um, you know, Bavaria. Let's go on to, to the Bayern team that's going to win this group. Probably going to. Let's, win this let's group. not lie to ourselves here. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, to the team true. that's winning this group. <laughs> They've done well in the window. I, I'm not going to lie. They've done well in the window to add Sabitzer and Upamecano into the team. That's you know those are signings that they've needed to make, especially since Alaba left. And I did not know this, but I didn't realize how thin that Bayern midfield actually is. Um, yeah, thinner than. You know, like, ever since Thiago left, I guess, they haven't really replaced him with... I mean, he got Goretzka, I suppose, but still, you know, it is still pretty thin. Besides Goretzka, yeah. Kimmich. The midfield, too, is definitely Goretzka and Kimmich, but when Thiago left, options. I think their sporting director had the idea of Marco Roca coming in from Espanyol. And Marco Roca, I mm. don't think, ever played under Hansi Flick. Or if he did, yeah. he barely featured. Marco Roca's a good player, but I don't necessarily think he's a Bayern Munich player. But bringing yeah. in Marcel Sabitzer, you're bringing in... A player who you could argue was the best midfielder in the Bundesliga outside of a Bayern Munich player last season. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You're adding genuine quality who can play either position in that midfield too, or however Julian Nagelsmann wants to play, however he wants to line up the absurd amount of talent that's in front of him. True, I mean, and I guess Abitza is uh, and Upamecano, I guess, are both uh, Nagelsmann players. They know how his system works. You know, that's always a bonus. You know. Yep, they've worked with him. Previously, Nagelsmann is reportedly a pretty good man manager, so they already have that relationship already built. They're gonna eventually have to sign a right back, but <laughs> they can get by. <laughs> they can get by. They're still one of the best teams in the world. They probably would have gone. I'm not gonna say probably would have gone to the final, but I think they could have potentially knocked City out and gone to the final had. You know, half their team not gotten injured before the second leg against PSG last season. Yeah. And now they have arguably the best young manager in the world leading them. 
it's sort of a test moment like it is with Pochettino for Nagelsmann where this is the first time he's definitively leading a top team and he's definitively dealing with the expectations of leading a top team especially being in Germany managing Bayern Munich yeah so it's gonna You're be right interesting to yeah. see how he's able to handle that because it's even compared to managing RB Leipzig it's a completely different experience from you know the issues you have to deal with and the pressure that you have to face so I mean, Hansi Flick handled it pretty well. Hansi Flick was notably a good manager. Yoli Nagelman is also notably a good manager. So I have confidence in thinking that he's going to handle it well, but it's at least something to think about. Well, for sure. And I guess to that end, right, their key men going forward will, will, will still be Robert Lewandowski. Who, who, I mean, who doesn't seem to be slowing down? <laughs> is he now? No, he, he, he scores goals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, Every day of the week, like, twice on Sundays. 41 goals last season or something? Yeah, he broke the single-season Bundesliga record. That was held by Der Bomber, Bayern legend, uh, Garrett Muller. This says a lot, especially in modern-day football. You know, it's, it's, it's getting increasingly harder to break those records because teams are getting better. Defenders are getting better. Systems are getting harder to play against, per se. And Especially well, doing so in the Bundesliga where you only play 34 games because there are yeah. only 18 teams. Yeah, it's even more impressive if you, if you consider that as well. I mean, let's be honest, you know, the, the Bayern Munich is ahead above the rest in terms of quality and class. <laughs> that's, yeah. not, that's, not, that's not denied. They that's are denied. one of the favorites to win this competition. Yeah. yeah. Can they win this competition? Well... Maybe, probably. maybe not. That really yeah. could, probably. <laughs> I mean, you can at least you can at least put them in the conversation with your Chelsea's, your Cities, your United's, your I hate to just be naming English teams in this. Your PSG's. You can definitely put them in that conversation. <laughs> you and could, you could, you could. Once you get to knockout football in the Champions League, anything can happen. You could. As um, Bayern know well and true, your whole team could get injured. And you could have to rely on Eric Maxim true promoting as your striker. You know, things happen. Things do happen. And hey, um, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and see what happens. Triple Moting's still at Bayern Munich, isn't he? I have no idea. He might very well be, actually. I'm not too sure. You know, it's uh, it's been a while since I've checked on Triple Moting's uh, recent club, per se. If he's still Correct. at Bayern, he's I'm still not surprised. A, he's still a Bayern player. Not surprised. Not surprised in the slightest, you know. Good good backup option, that's for sure. Okay. Prediction time, if you have nothing else to add. I have nothing else to add. I think both of us have the same team finishing first. I think the question is, yeah. do we have the same team finishing second? I've put Benfica as second. I put Barcelona, but I was tossing between Barcelona and Benfica. Alright, so I guess, you know, not too much of a difference. And I think Barcelona might, for the first time in a long while, Say in the Europa League, I guess. <laughs> imagine, imagine Barcelona in the Europa League. Imagine they have That's... to go to like Eastern Europe in the Europa League or something. Play that Europa League round of thirty-two against. Um, gosh, I don't know. Olympiacos. <laughs> yeah, but they played Olympiacos before in the Champions League, I suppose. Yeah, but it's different because it's in the Champions League. That's not true. that you're not you're playing a round of thirty-two in the Europa League. Barcelona against West Ham, man. I'm calling it right now. Right. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Against uh, the but... 1966 World Cup champions, West Ham. That's right. 
That is right. West Ham. West Ham United. <laughs> no, but let's. But well, I guess in that case, Benfica's third for you. Yeah, I had Benfica third and Di Maria fourth. I was yeah. really tossing between Barcelona and Benfica in second and third. Well, I mean, I was really uh, contemplating whether or not Barcelona is going to qualify for the Europa League. So I understand. I I actually truly get where you're coming at. All right. Let's move on to Group F, the the, the group that Which everyone the, wants to talk about. The group about. that you secretly wanted to talk about this whole time because it includes yeah, Manchester that's right. United. I've been it includes Manchester United, three teams playing Manchester United. That's right, three teams that are all going to get uh, a harsh lesson by Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo is going to avenge us for our past um, that's the th- This group would have been so much fun if you guys didn't say Ronaldo. I know, right? Because you're going to lose been... to Villarreal again if you didn't sign Ronaldo. <laughs> I know, right? It would have been the case, and you we might have lost to Atlanta as well. And we very yeah. well might have, because that that's the thing about this group. I mean, obviously Manchester United are head and shoulders ahead of all the other teams on paper, especially since they signed you know Varane yeah. and Sancho and Cristiano. But Atlanta are a really good team. Villarreal yeah, are also a really good team. <laughs> And if United didn't necessarily learn the lessons that they needed to learn by being beaten by a subpar Villarreal in the Europa League last season, they probably would have paid that lesson by being beaten by a better Villarreal team in the Champions League. I mean, I'm not going to deny that, um, not in the slightest, but uh, I guess before I'm talking about United, right? Um, let's just talk about the other teams real quick. Um, I want to talk about Villarreal, and I think Villarreal would probably be emboldened by the fact that they won the Europa League. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah. they've had a really, really good um, transfer window. They have, yeah. I mean, I not only the... have they held on to their key players, they held on yeah. to Pel Torres, who's one of the best young players in Spain, held on to Jeremy Pino, Danny Pereira, Jeremy Moreno. But they added Buladia, who was a pretty underrated player in Ligue 1 last season. And when Buladia and Jeremy Moreno played together in the Super Cup against Chelsea, they looked really good. So let's see how they feature against... They, they uh, could be very dangerous. They also made Juan Foyth's loan permanent. Juan Foyth played really well for Villarreal last season, especially did. in the Europa League. And I'm kind of surprised Spurs let him go, but that's the or there. They signed yeah. Asamandi on a free transfer, who is a very experienced La Liga defender, who unfortunately scored the own goal of the century against Atletico Madrid the other week. Or he played for Betis, right? Before yeah, this. he played for Betis previously. Yeah. Uh, I think he's an Algerian international. I think he plays for he is, he is. Algeria, yeah. And then they signed Arnaud Adjuma from Bournemouth, who was one of the best players in the championship last season. And they really pretty, only pretty lost decent, Everton yeah. legend Romero Funes Mori, who went to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so this is still the same core that won the Europa League with a little bit sprinkled on top of it. So, uh, not too bad. Villarreal seems stronger than ever. And what about Atalanta? They, they made a few uh, smart moves to replace certain players, didn't they? They definitely did. I think the interesting fold for not only Atalanta, but Villarreal as well, as well is that neither team has necessarily started their season all that well. Yeah. I think there's sort of easy ways you can explain both of those. Like Villarreal playing without Danny Pereja and Samuel Trucuese at the moment. I think Atalanta, I think it's really hard to read into two games. But at least on paper, this is potentially the peak of this Atalanta project. 
I've said in podcasts before that this is the year if Atalanta want to win the Scudetto, if they want to win Serie A, this is the year to do it. But yeah, they've they've done well in the market, is what you said. I mean, they lost Christian Romero, notably to Tottenham. They lost Pierluigi Golini, notably to Tottenham. But they've replaced uh, Christian Romero with two players: uh, Mara Demaral from Juventus, Turkish international. Yep talented player hasn't necessarily shown it all the time but you know there's something in the water in Bergamo basically so he's gonna become a superstar probably and then they signed Matteo Lovato from Hellas Verona who went a little bit more under the radar than Demaral did but is also a very 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 talented player I think he's like a high level Italy youth international sort of flirting mm-hmm. with the Italy senior team if Chiellini and Benucci weren't ageless but <laughs> Those are two very talented young players who I think, I mean, Demaral is basically the same mold of, mold of deal that they made when they got Romero from Juventus. They got Romero on a loan with a buy option from Juventus, and then he goes to Atalanta and was the best center back in Serie A last season. So they exercised that really low buy option. I think it was like 15 million euros, and then they sell him to Spurs for 50 million, and they just make exponential profit. While they're still able to hang on to, I guess, their new look front three, because Papu Gomez isn't there anymore. Duvon Zapata is still there, even though there's interest from Inter. Ruzla Malinowski is still there, even though there's interest from Arsenal. And Joseph Belichitz is still there. Um, their midfield is largely the same, plus they added Tanquat Mainers from Azadaltnar, who's a player that I thought mm-hmm. Man United should have signed. But hey, we did. But you did. Yeah, you know, you signed Ronaldo instead. You know. We did. We did sign Ronaldo. <laughs> Rich people. I guess. Problems rich people problems and before we go on to Ronaldo United let's you know briefly mention that you know young boys uh, can they pull any upsets I don't think so I don't think I think there's a golfing quality not. issue I mean, yeah there's a golfing quality right? full, full disclosure of this whole long Champions League guide that I of notes that I wrote to prepare for this I ran out of time so I didn't finish every team and young boys is one of the teams that I did not cover but alright I at least know that there is an American on here. Oh, <laughs> named Jordan Sibachu. And he's a talented player. And I know that young boys are very well known for developing players out of Switzerland. I believe Dennis Zakaria came from there. And he, I'm surprised, didn't get a move out of uh, Gladbach. I also think Granite Xhaka came from there as well. I can't remember, but... They're, they're decent. I think they're a decent team. I don't think they're going to finish any higher than fourth in this group. But they're still decent. They can maybe I mean, play a good game or two. Hopefully, Jordan Sibutru makes a good name for himself and gets a bigger move. Because we love that for Americans. Let's, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. And I guess, you know, on to Manchester United. I promise I won't talk too much about them because we still have to cover the other two groups and that's another eight teams but um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to at least make the semi-finals yes at the very least well very, okay very okay, least. okay 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 first off just to interject uh, Grand Jacka came through at FC Basel not Young Boys I'm gonna clear that up but oh okay I mean yeah, I thought United, that was need, United need to about. start from square one don't they they need to get out of the group <laughs> Like, it's all well and good saying, oh, you want to make the semifinals. United haven't nah, bro, gotten but... out of the group. <laughs> I know. And that's a problem, right? Because when you sign a player like Ronaldo, that, that should never be the ambition per se. 
I mean, the thing is, right, you, you, it's not just Ronaldo. I mean, all due credit to Varane and Sancho as well. These are unpushover players, you know. These are players who are world-class. They're not borderline world-class. They are world-class. And, you know, given that stature, I mean, Varane is a multi-time La Liga, multi-time Champions League winner. So is Ronaldo. So, Sancho is uh, a... Talented player. Call, talented <laughs> player. Did he win the Someone DFB who hasn't call? necessarily won a lot because he decided to play for Dortmund instead of Bayern. But... No, but even then, he's played in a talented Dortmund squad. He's he's featured regularly in the Champions League with Dortmund, you know. Can you say the same for many of these United players? Maybe not, because more often than not, we've been playing in the Europa League for... Uh, yeah, that's, that's or you right. go out early in the Champions League. Yeah, and then we play in the Europa League after that. So, I guess in that sense, you know, you have three players, three world-class players, mind you. Um, and I guess in Ronaldo, you have one of the best players in the world with you at the moment you, you you can't just aim to finish out of the group that's not enough I do, uh, don't get me wrong I believe in what you're saying we need to focus on getting out of the group but we need unfortunately and this is a bit problematic because of the nature of players that we've brought in there will be high expectations for Ole to you know potentially win it or at the very least you know re- go far go really far in this competition because I don't think that winning the Europa League is going to cut it no, absolutely not. It's if, not going to cut it anymore. If United fail to get out of the group this season, Ole should be sacked on the spot. He should. He's like, been given he, enough time. Tell him to get an Uber to the airport. It doesn't matter. Don't even let him on the bus. He should lose his job on the spot, in the stadium, in the tunnel, like Carlo Ancelotti did when he was at Chelsea. When he found out he lost his job in the tunnel after a game, that's exactly what should happen. And I like Ole, and I don't want that to happen to him. But... If he doesn't learn, yeah, it has to be. Yeah. I mean, I guess United will need to send a strong message as well because, for once, I can't fault them. You know, they've stuck with the manager. They've given him what he needs, with the exception of a central defensive midfielder, which may be the whole reason why this thing unravels. But my point <laughs> is, right? <laughs> but it's okay because you signed Ronaldo. <laughs> well, I mean, it's. I guess it's. It, here's the thing. I think Ole needs to develop a system in which you don't have to rely on a central defensive midfielder. I think the modern game has sort of, uh, you know, progressed to an extent where you sort of need a defensive midfielder. In the past, you don't really need someone as a traditionally defensive-minded, uh, perhaps like, uh, I guess, you know, General Gattuso per se, um, or Daniel De Rossi per se. Uh, you don't really need it to... You, I mean, clubs didn't really need to have that, but I guess... I mean, not every team has a proper defensive midfielder is what I'm trying to get at. And Ole needs to develop a system in which he can sort of ensure some sort of defensive cohesiveness without needing to rely on Fred to do that defensive duty in midfield. If you know what I'm trying to get at. I think if you think back to like the peak of the Sir Alex teams, like you would have a midfield too of Paul Scholes, who was the deep-line playmaker, and Michael Carrick, who did the dirty work. Yeah. And, and Carrick I, was not I a just, defensive midfielder. Yeah, he, he wasn't a defensive midfielder, but he was it was him or Park Ji Song who did, you know, the dirty work in midfield, who did what yeah. had to be done in order to get United onto, onto the attack, in order to get the ball to the feet of Paul Scholes, to the feet of Cristiano Ronaldo, to the feet of Nani, to the feet of Wayne Rooney. And yeah. maybe you can develop a system like that. I don't think you can simply because Bruno needs to play as a central midfielder. And Pogba needs to play as a central midfielder, despite Ole's sheer insistence to not play Pogba as a central midfielder. But 
I don't necessarily think that sort of system is possible, but maybe you could get away with it simply because of how athletic Rafael Varane is and how capable United are to play on the counter when you're countering with pace through players like Sancho, like Rashford, like whatever pace Ronaldo has left. And you can do that very, very well in knockout competitions. PSG have shown that, Liverpool have shown that. So that could be a scenario where United could win the Champions League with Fred as defensive midfielder. I'm not going to lie, but that would be hilarious because everyone else will be scratching their heads thinking, how did this happen? <laughs> but, I think, you know, I guess... Yeah, huh? At least just as like a parting point for United, I think the yeah. biggest issue with them, especially last season, wasn't necessarily not playing well in the games that were against the big teams, but they didn't go through last season because they lost away to Bishakshah here in a game where they were absolutely dreadful. Yeah. I mean, if they had beaten Bishakshah here away, that would have been nine points from their first three games with Bishakshah here at home being their fourth game. They very likely would have sealed qualification with two games to go if they had won their first four games. But it was that loss away to Bishakshah here that made it much more difficult to them. It made it much more difficult for them. It made it where they had to beat PSG at home, where they were also pretty bad, but PSG were very, very good that day. And then by the time they played Leipzig, their bed was basically already made. So going into this group, you're playing, you're obviously in a weaker group because, well, I wouldn't necessarily, well, I would say weaker because I don't necessarily think Leipzig, that Leipzig team was any better than Villarreal or Atalanta, but PSG were definitely better than Villarreal or Atalanta. But United can't make the same mistake of underestimating opponents or underestimating opponents the way they underestimated Bishakshir. Because if they if they drop points to young boys, it's going to be very difficult to fully dig themselves back out of that hole in this group. True. Because those two True. other teams are not slouches. They're not big no, they names. Not. They're not the RB Leipzig or PSGs of the world, but they are. But they're still big teams. problems. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong there. And I guess, you know, at that point, um, let's move on to group... Well, group predictions first before going to Group G. So, who do you think is going to win the group, top the group, uh, Jack? I had. Do you want me to just say top? Or you want me to run through one to four? Let's do top. Um, let's do. Let's take a look from one to four together. So, who do you have at top? Of top, I had Man United. Same. What about second? Second, I had Atalanta. Damn it! Yeah, same. Third, I had Villarreal. Fourth, I had Young Boys. Yep, yep. It's just, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think Villarreal can... I think Atalanta have more quality than Villarreal, and that's just my opinion. I think Atalanta... I wouldn't necessarily say quality. I think flexibility. Flexibility? Because... Have, well, yeah, okay. They're sort of both like houses of cards, but with Atalanta... With, not with Atalanta, with Villarreal... If you pull Danny Parejo out of that house of cards, the whole thing falls apart. Okay. That's sort of what, you know, they showed early this season where I think they've drawn their first two games nil-nil. And then, well, they played really well against Chelsea. They played really, really well. Uh, Then they drew the first two games against an average Granada team and a newly promoted Espanol. And then they were very fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, to draw with LA Madrid. LA Madrid should have had like five or six goals that game. Mm, And that was playing without Danny Parejo. That's just how important Danny Parejo is to that team. 
So if they are fully healthy, that this Villarreal team is really, really dangerous. But if you pull Parejo out of that house of cards, it all falls down. Whereas I think Atalanta are noticeably worse if you take Joseph Pilicic out, but they're still able to create moving forward because you still have to deal with Zapata. You still have to deal with Malinowski. You still have to deal with Robin Gosens and Hans Hatabur. You still have to deal with Joaquin Mela there's still a lot that they can hit you with. And I think defensively, they also have a lot of quality that isn't centered around, well, for Villarreal, centered around uh, Raul Abiel. So Villarreal definitely have the quality. I just think Atalanta have the flexibility to deal with whatever a tough schedule can bring them. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you're, you're wrong there in the slightest. Um, I guess, you know, on that note, let's move on to Group G that boasts another favourite Spanish team of yours. A team that potentially could win the La Liga this season, given um, Real Madrid and Barcelona's uh, transitional uh, phase, I suppose. And that's Sevilla. Uh, they're joining uh, Lille, Wolfsburg and Red Bull Salzburg in uh, what seems to be another, you know, sort of evenly matched group of sorts, if you know what I mean. Yeah, this is easily the most evenly matched group in the whole competition. Yeah, so let's start off with Sevilla, if that's okay with you. Yes, let us start off with the team with the best anthem in football. If you have not Googled Sevilla's anthem by now, I think you I may have advocated for it before. Google Sevilla's anthem. Best anthem in football. <laughs> you should. Best anthem in football. And also a really, really good transfer window that they had. You know, they brought Rafa Mero from Bulls, um, Gonzalo Montiel from River Plate, Eric Lamella on a free from Spurs. You know, and also Thomas Delaney from Dortmund, who's as you've mentioned before, a really good squad player that they've brought on. I think Sevilla had, you know, they've done well this window. You know, they really bolstered their squad with quality additions, and it's shown. It's shown in their first three games in the La Liga, right? Yeah, more or less in their first two than the, than the third, but yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, the big thing with Sevilla is not only have they boosted what was already a really good, maybe the best team in Sevilla's history team. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say that Sevilla are a big club, but a really, really good team with squad players. They didn't lose anyone crucial. We're now Especially, past deadline day and Jules Kunda is still yeah. a Sevilla player. Very, very, really, very surprisingly. <laughs> well, I mean, he's quite angry about about the situation though, because apparently he was, you know, um, looking forward to a move to Chelsea, but oh, yeah. I, Sevilla I said no. he wasn't happy about yeah, not moving to arguably the best team in Europe. But it's yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. Sevilla stood firm; they kept their player, and now they have a team it, that could very well win a league title this season. It could very well ca- cause some serious noise in Europe this season. Well, I guess I mean Sevilla are Europa League Cup specialists. Oh, sorry, UEFA Cup Europa League specialists in the sense whereby they've won that competition. I, I, if I'm not mistaken. They've won it more than any other team in the competition's history, right? I believe that's correct, yeah. I mean, it's for the, long, for the longest of times. You know, you've always associated the Europa League with uh, Sevilla or the UEFA Cup with Sevilla. Um, but I think they are growing, for sure. Or they've grown into this Champions League regular team. Um, which is sad because it means they probably can't win any more silverware. Um, no offense. Okay, I'm taking that back, Sevilla. Eh, eh, I mean, <laughs> they can win domestically. They can win domestically. They've now developed a team that is comfortably one of the four best teams in Spain. Yeah, and, you know, I personally, I do want to see Sevilla, you know, win something. It'd be good to see um, someone else win the La Liga besides, you know, Atletico, um, Real, or Barcelona. 
So yeah, fingers crossed there. Yeah. But I think you know, just as yeah, sort of like a main mm-hmm. central point with Sevilla, the big issue for them last season was goal scoring. Like they uh, obviously had a really good defense, even though Diego Carlos had a down season. Shulkunda is still unbelievable. Yasin Bono, their goalkeeper, is unbelievable. But they they needed some more goal scoring. So their striker, Yusufen Nasiri, scored 24 goals in all comps last season. I think the next closest scored like nine. Nine oh, or wow. eight. And that's not necessarily all that good. <laughs> so you're going to have to look to a player like Eric Lamella, a player like Papu Gomez, a player like Munir, Luka Campos, Rafa Mir, who they just signed, who be the backup striker to sort of say, okay, can you guys start picking up the slack because we can't have Yusuf Ben-Naziri score 24 goals and the next closest guy be in single digits. That's not going to help us get far in Europe. That's not going to help us win La Liga. To be fair, Lamella's started well. Three goals in two games. Not bad. <laughs> but that's sort of I mean, I guess the question is, can he... The story for Sofia is, can, can they score enough? Can he maintain... They can obviously score, but can they score enough? Yeah. I guess can Lamella maintain his form? I mean, I have serious doubts over that. No offense. Probably. <laughs> I mean, you're probably right to have those doubts. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a pretty good player. I think him being a Spurs made us forget that Eric Lamella is pretty good. I mean, his reason why he he's, not, he's not going to be scoring right a goal yeah. every game because you know he's not Erling Holland or Lionel Messi. But I think no, he could not, be a yeah. good player for Sevilla, and he at least gives them another option. Because they have, he, they now have multiple pretty good players that they can play in all three of those front attacking three positions. Well, or the level, the level necessarily between like Eric Lamella and Papu Gomez, or Eric Lamella, Lucas and Campos, or someone like that. The level of drop off isn't necessarily all that much. True, very true. And I guess you know on that note, um, speaking of. Uh, similar levels right let's let's sort of dive into the other teams if there's nothing else we need to talk about Sevilla out of curiosity is there anything else we need to talk about Sevilla nothing else okay cool let's go and talk about uh, Lil because you know league on team um, also the Jack only other form. league on team in this competition thanks a lot Monica and, <laughs> and as a result of Monaco's loss uh, league on is no longer one they're of not the- even French Monaco isn't in France yeah, it's not even in French, man. It's like a principality, right? Or something like that. I don't like them. <laughs> well, I was cheering I mean, for them for one freaking reason. They can't even beat Shakhtar. Come on. Hey, yo, Shakhtar beat Madrid, man. Yeah, Shakhtar's good. I, I spent all that time in the first part saying good things about Shakhtar. So. <laughs> you did. You really did. Um, I guess the one thing that I thought I wanted to touch on is... With regards to uh, Lil, you know, they've they've been fairly gutted to heaven day, you know. Not necessarily they, as much as people thought they would be, but But they have lost key players. They definitely have, and I don't think they've I don't think they've had the ability to do enough to replace them simply because of their mm. financial situation. I mean when you lose the best goalkeeper in France, Mike Magnon. You yeah. lose arguably the best defensive midfielder. I mean, you could at least put him in the conversation. The best defensive midfielder in France, Boubacar Samare. Those are two very, very difficult players to replace, especially when they were the core of your title-winning team, in case you didn't hear who sure. won the title last season. Again. And 
most importantly, when you lose the manager that manufactured all of that, Christoph Galtier is gone. They replaced him with Jocelyn Gorvenek, who is not a particularly good manager. No. No idea how he got the job, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. And even though you did keep some of the talent from that team, Baruch Yilmaz is still there. He's still probably their best player. Renato Sanchez is still there, but he's injured, and he's going to be injured for a pretty decent amount of time. Sven Botman and Josie Fonts are there. Because this team isn't as good going forward, you're going to be really leaning on them, and you're going to have to start demanding some consistency from Jonathan David because he had flashes last year, but it wasn't enough. It's not enough now, now that we're in the post-Galtier world, and you, you're going to start needing more from him. Well, I guess I'm afraid to ask this, but do you think uh, the Champions League is going to distract them from any sort of uh, domestic pursuit of uh, top three position, top three race? They're they're not finishing the top three. They're not. You don't think so? It's not happening. That's so sad, though. I I don't think they'll get particularly close. That's very sad, though. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it is, but it's reality in France. Okay, before I get you all, uh, yeah, before you get up, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to Wolfsburg, all right? And I know Wolfsburg very, very, very interesting with this. Well, you know, they brought in the Nemetra brothers from um, Manchester City. They brought in Maximilian Philip, uh, Luca Walschmidt, who didn't really have, I guess, you know, based on what you said, he didn't really have the best of times at Benfica. So, uh, but to be to be completely fair to him, he dealt with injuries at Benfica. So he didn't necessarily mm, okay. have the ability to kick on from that. He's still a very talented player. They also brought in one of my FIFA career mode favorites, Oscar Franch from Mechelen, who Ooh, wow. okay. always had really high potential on career mode because he was a central midfielder who was athletic and really well-rounded. So like they have the little hexagon things that show um, the statistical distribution for players in um, yeah. FIFA. The When you grow him to his potential, the hexagon was just the whole thing. <laughs> All around I mean, in real life, he is a good he is a good player, and he's going into a Wolfsburg midfield that's already well established with Xavier Schlager, Maximilian Arnold. So he doesn't necessarily have a lot of expectation on him immediately. So they signed a pretty good squad player. They did. They really did. Um, they also got Stockton out from Cologne. Good center back. You can partner mm-hmm. with Max and Lacroix because. John Brooks will probably get injured eventually because he always is. And then <laughs> Dodi Lugabacchio is at least a good rotational attacking player. So this is quietly a pretty good Wolfsburg team. Well, I mean, that's good though. Like, all things considered, I think uh, it's it's only good because I want to I see them do well in the Bundesliga. I don't know about you, but, you know, yeah, as I'm much as I love Wolfsburg. I think I think yeah. they very quietly had a really good season last year. I don't think many people realized just how good of a season they were having until near the very end of the season when they almost blew the top four, but they got in there. And because of that, they lost their manager, <laughs> Tom Charles Frankfurt. <laughs> but it is Mark Van Bommel's venture into the Bundesliga. We'll see how he does. He didn't necessarily get off to the best of starts because he got them disqualified from the German Cup, but... Mm-hmm. He's seemingly rebounded pretty well. They're, they played three league games, including against RB Leipzig, and they beat them. So it's been a strong start to the season for Wolfsburg. That's good, though. You know, all things considered, I think uh, 
Good to see Wolfsburg uh, <clears throat> doing well again, I suppose. So, I guess moving on to the uh, German neighbours, I suppose. I mean, I'm not allowed to use that because of uh, I mean, historical reasons, but hey, you know, Austrians speak German as well. Germanic. <laughs> you can just say Germanic because they are not German. their German neighbours because Salzburg is not in Germany. Is it not? No, well, I mean, it's in Austria, right? Yeah, it's in Austria, yeah. Yeah, but well, okay, no, fair, fair. They're different yeah. countries. I know they, they are speak the same. La- I was, they speak a different was, version of the same language, but it is different. Very countries. true, very true. I mean, I guess because of Anschluss, um, they're not allowed to reunite. But that's a whole different topic. But <laughs> yes, all they, they, what do you call that? Their Germanic uh, neighbors, uh, Rebel Salzburg, Rebel Salzburg. Who? I don't know. Um, I don't know whether they have enough quality to replace the many players that have left them. Eh, there's always quality. This there's is always Rebels quality. Talking about. <laughs> True, I mean, but, there's, you know, no, they... there's no new Erling Holland in here. So, oh, well, there was no new Dominic Schaubach. Yeah, I mean, like, losing Patsendaka is probably going to suck. Losing Enochon Weapon is probably going to suck, especially because um, Seiko Koita, I believe, is still suspended until the end of the year for doping. And, um... Muhammad Kamara, I think his name is. His teammate with Molly is also suspended. So those are two big absences. I have no idea how long they're suspended for. So if I'm wrong and they're not suspended until the end of the season, then I'm wrong. But I mean, this is still kind of a good team. True, I mean, true, true, true. Karamati Emi was sort of sitting on the bench behind um, Daka and Koita, and before behind Daka and Holland. And Adiemi's pretty good player they also have an american we love americans brendan aronson's a very talented player he's shown <laughs> in austria he's a very talented creative midfielder and i believe he scored the goal that got them into the champions league in their uh, qualifying game in their qualifying um their Picture? playoff qualifying round and i like brendan aronson brendan aronson's a talented player they're probably not going to move on to the round to the round of 16 but they could cause some issues depending Maybe. on when they get Seiko Koita back. If they get Seiko Koita back in the group stage, I think Koita is a very talented player. And him and Karamadiemi up front together would be very fun. It's also, you know, another team that's replacing their manager. Jesse Marsh went to Red Bull Leipzig. They replaced him with yet another coach in the Red Bull system. Uh, his name is Matthias Yassel, who... Mm. Coaches like every other Red Bull coach, so it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they fare in this group. And I mean, okay, to be honest, right, even though I do think that personally, maybe they don't have, I mean, do they have enough quality to compute the rest? Probably, maybe, but you cannot deny that all these, all of these teams have an equal chance of uh, qualifying, let's say. Yep, maybe some more so than yeah. others. But you know, roughly the same. So I guess I'm interested. I'm interested to know what your predictions are for this group. So fire away, Jack. Fire away. If there's something else to add, this this is gonna pain me so much. Okay, so first in the group, I have Sevilla. I think they're okay, comfortably same. the best team. Well, not comfortably, but they're the best team in this group. Second, I have <gasps> Interesting. I have Lil going through actually. You're gonna be. You might be surprised by where I have Lil. <laughs> 
Oh wow. Third, I have Salzburg. Fourth, I have Will. I do Very not think Will are going to be moving on in Europe. I just don't think they're good enough. Wait, I, 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 I think they might have it in them to scrape through. There is an odd chance, and maybe that's because you know I want a league team to do well besides PSG. And that's my biased yeah, opinion. Same. But hey, all of us are biased. I'm just leaning right? on the Europa League for that now. <laughs> <laughs> Wolfsburg. I think Wolfsburg are going to qualify for Europa and Salzburg are probably going to finish last. It'll be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, I think if Lil are going to go through, it's because they either somehow heal Renato Sanchez from injury a lot quicker or it's because Burke Yilmaz, our lord and savior, scores just a bajillion goals. <laughs> Which is possible. It's true. Baruch Yilmaz is really, really good. He was arguably the best player in France last season. So, it's entirely possible. I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, it's true. Not going to lie. It is true. It is true. Um, ah. Okay, you know what? The more I look at this, right, the more frustrated I'm getting because this is actually quite an even team. Even group, rather. Uh, I can't believe people live last. They're just not all that good. They're managed by a manager who's not all that good. No, not good. Did, did you disconnect? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear me. Hear okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. They're not that good. They're not that good. Group H. Group H. Group H. Group H. Chelsea, Juventus, Malmo, and Zenit. I mean, can I be honest? I, I would prefer that to you lying. <laughs> <laughs> we love honesty here. I think Chelsea are going to run through this group without any hiccups. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Zero questions. So- mind. We all know who's finishing first here. We're going to see some random Chelsea Academy kids playing by like the fifth game in this group. Or even by the fourth. Hmm. I'm taking a look at my notes again. The more I think about it, right? Are you about to say some wild stuff about Juventus? No, I was going to say something about Chelsea, and I think this is something important to mention. Granted, it's not related to uh, to, to the Champions League at all, but they made in massive, massive returns. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Selling all of their youth loan, uh, your youth, I mean, your, the youth players. They dang near broke even. I mean, by himself, Tammy Abraham of Kyoto Mori is 59 million British pounds. Yeah. Add nearly 30 for Kurt Zuma, and that alone gets you, I think, 10 off of Lukaku. Yeah. 10, no, 10 I mean, million off of what Lukaku cost them. It, I mean, Chelsea have. I don't agree with what they do. They buy a ton of young players, you know, increase their valuation by loaning them out to a couple of clubs and then sell them for a much bigger profit down the line. 
but hey it works and maybe that's a system that you know smaller clubs need to sort of invest in that's how perhaps you you know compete with the rich smaller clubs don't have the ability to do that let's be a club like a club like leon could pull this off no no a club like leon could not pull this off in their wildest dreams can you make i mean think about it you know look at how much chelsea spends every single year and tell me a club outside of england could do that I like the little emojis that just popped off thinking that someone was listening. <laughs> no, a smaller club cannot do what Chelsea does. Okay, fair. Because right. not only uh, do they not have the money that Chelsea does, they don't have the influence that Chelsea does. They do not. They don't have the ability to... Work. I'm going to politely say partner with a club like Vitesse, with a club like... God, I don't know who all their freaking partners are in Europe, but like the ability to have the financial <laughs> capabilities to snap up all these young players outside of just the players that Chelsea's academy proves. And you already have to be a really smart and really well ran and really financially backed academy in order to produce a lot of these young players, which True. only so few teams in Europe are. But you then need to have the ability to hang on to these players for a while to hire the exact staff that is able to, you know, assemble this lone army, be able to have good partner clubs to send them to, like the Tess Arnhem, and be able to be in the financial standing where you don't have to sell these players almost immediately. Yeah. There are very few clubs that could pull this off, and I believe all 100% of them are in England. Unless you are... Well, I mean, I guess Italian teams have a knack of doing this too, right? No, 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 I'm, no. <laughs> it's a not? completely, it's a completely different thing. Don't Juventus because have a couple of players out Chelsea, on stuff? Well, okay, Juventus is a completely different story because Juventus are rich, but Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea aren't doing this because they lack money. They're doing this because they have money. Mm, it is their money that allows them to do this. Manchester City are doing a fairly similar thing. They're just not getting the, uh, the return back to Chelsea are because Chelsea just churn out players at an absurd rate. It's a positive of being located in London, which is one of the biggest hotbeds for talent in Europe. But this isn't something that smaller clubs can, without money can do because they don't have the money to do this. True. Well, I mean, I'm just going to counter your point with regards to Italian teams not doing this because Atalanta have like 30 players, I don't know. Well, Atalanta to go basically to the source. They buy these players for cheap, cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a completely different story because Atalanta are working with a shoestring budget. That's true. They're That's working true. with a budget, you know, minuscule compared to even like big teams in Italy. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess... Even then, like eventually, their project has an expiration date. The Chelsea project is not going to expire because Abramovich's pockets are never going to be empty. That's, unless unless he gets sanctioned by the West, then it's going to get That's really, true. really hairy for him. That's true. Unless his oil reserves start drying up or something. I don't know, man. Or um, unless democracy comes to Russia or something like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perhaps. 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 But even then, you know, in a capitalist society, he might still reign supreme. For all you know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Coming back to Group H, uh, Juventus. All right. Ronaldo's out. 
that's the biggest story uh, probably the biggest story of the window for Juventus but yes, I think that's also overshadowed uh, the um, the fact that they won the race to sign Locatelli and during the Euros Locatelli was one of the hottest names on the market you know everyone wanted was. to sign him yeah and it, it's weird because it wasn't necessarily a race either like it was but it, it was wasn't. to a point it was to a point because other teams Arsenal wanted to won. sign him, but the only team that actually made an auction, an actionable opportunity, bid. an yeah. actionable bid to sign him was Arsenal. And Locatelli didn't want to go there because he's a smart man. <laughs> and also because he's a Juventus fan. And he wanted to go to Juventus. So it's it was the inevitable the inevitable outcome. While still I mean, it's true. Being, you know, he's one of the best young players, one of the best young midfielders in Europe because he definitively is. I mean, he's probably going to be. I mean, I don't know how much of a role he's going to be playing this season, though. Because, uh, what kind of role would he be playing in Juventus this season? He would be their best midfielder this season. Their midfield still think? sucks. <laughs> It's not great. <laughs> I mean, their midfield last season was one of the main reasons why they struggled as much as they did. Like, Weston McKenney being their best midfielder isn't a stretch to say. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an American. I don't, I think Weston McKenney's good, but I don't think he's all that good. And he was maybe their best midfielder last season simply because he was competent. Like ninety-five percent of the time, he was competent. Mm. Locatelli comes in and is immediately Juventus's best midfielder. I mean, that then just leaves you know the other problem areas in this team for Max Allegri to fix. The main one being who's going to score the goals. (laughs) Moise Keane, man, Moise Keane's back in the club. He's yeah, gonna be scoring I mean, goals. Is he I mean, going to score the amount that Ronaldo did? Potentially, maybe. You know, I, I, I'd like to be optimistic. He did, he did. But I guess, you know, Ronaldo's the kind of player where the team has to play through. And, and that's something that United sort of have to <clears throat> accommodate or maybe learn how to get Ronaldo to play according to Ole's system. And before you say that's not going to happen, right? That might very well happen under a man like Ole. Okay? Ole's very stubborn. You've seen how stubborn he is, alright? He doesn't want to make substitutions early in the game. He waits and waits. What is he going to do? Bench Ronaldo? Don't be surprised, alright? He's not he benching is, Ronaldo. He is capable not of doing stuff Ronaldo. like this. He, he benched Ronaldo. Benching. How, how, are, we still ta- benched how are we Cavani. still talking about United? Oh, no, because it's related to Juventus per se. And I guess Moise Keane, you know... Uh, Be- benching, can he benching, Cav- benching Cavani and benching Ronaldo are two wildly different things. Alright, fair. Fair, fair. Alright, fair. Alright, fair. Um, Moise Keane... He's a good signing for them. And he's going to help them a lot in their Champions League pursuits. Are they going to win the Champions League? <laughs> Hell no. But... No. I mean... It, it, they, they might if, they were, if they were in a tougher group, you could ask questions about whether they were going to get out of it. Again, it's hard. It's hard to read into a, se- a team two games into a season, 
But their first game, they drew 2-2 to a fairly below average Udinese team. Their second game, they lost 1-0 to Empoli. And Empoli are not good. Their second game was their first game without Ronaldo. Their first game, Ronaldo didn't start because he was probably house hunting in Manchester or something. He was on apartments.com on his phone sitting on the bench. But... In the long term, they'll probably figure out how to function without Ronaldo. They'll probably get enough from Moiskin, from Alvaro Morata, from Federico Chiesa to be able to get by. But especially in the short term, this team is going to struggle to score goals. And if they were in a better Champions League group, if their third team in their group was, say, Sevilla, I would be really scared about Juventus not making it through to the round of 16. Juventus to Europa League, man. Let's go. Given, given the of... teams that are in this group, I think they're going to get through. Probably. It's I mean, just not going to look good. <laughs> Zenit, I mean, they, they might just scrape through. Zenit, Zenit's going to cause them a lot of issues. Because uh, the man that was supposed to go to Lyon, Sarda Azmoun, you know, uh, Asian man <sighs> from Iran. What a talented player. He really Sarah, Sarah Sarah a good player. He's a very good player. I think, I think the issue with Zenit is that the, the level of overall quality between the Russian League and the rest of Europe is really stark to the point where you have mm. to be a really good Eastern European team to register on the scale when playing in the Champions League against the Western European team, against Western European teams. Mm. And while I think a team like Shakhtar is good enough to do that, I'm not quite sure about Zenit. I think they could, but I have equal leanings to the other side as well. Because, I mean, there's okay. th- there's definitely good players here. I mean, Sutter <laughs> Asmund, good player. Malcolm, somehow still playing there. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I Artem Zuba, about that. not a bad player. They signed um, pretty old a player though. called... They, pl- they signed a player called uh, Claudinho from the Red Bull team in Brazil. He's really like good. Red Bull Brazil team. Yeah, Red Bull Bragan something. Bragantino, I think. And, the wall, man. Hey, Dejan Lovren's here. <laughs> Did not know that. Um, mm. I mean, Wilmer Barrios, Dejan Lovren, Douglas Santos, good, experienced, quality players. They're good. I just, I just don't think they're good enough. But if you know Claudinho turns into Russian League Messi, and they figure they figure out how to beat Juventus once in the Champions League, and that makes a difference. They could potentially move on to the round of 16, but otherwise, I think Juventus are safe in the fact that the teams around them aren't necessarily good enough to challenge them. True, and I mean, I guess the, the other team is Malmo, right? <laughs> the other team is Malmo, and Malmo uh, are just... Malmo, Malmo probably finishing fourth. A lot of history. A lot of history. Whole lot of history. Institution of football in Sweden. Yeah, they are. And I guess, you know, all due respect to them, but... They're probably... Let's, let's, they probably finish in football. And I'm I guess... glad they're in the Champions League, because a team like Malmo should be competing in Europe's highest competition, regardless of what country they're from. They are an institution of the country that they're from. But... True. They're not as good as Zenit. They're not as good as Juventus. And they're not as good as... They're obviously not as good as Chelsea, because Chelsea are one of the best teams in this competition. And if Malmo are fighting anyone in this group, they're going to be fighting Zenit. True. Very true indeed. Um, and I guess, you know, to, to that end, um, let's, I guess there's nothing else that you'd like to add for group page, that is. Um, 
let's talk about predictions because I'm interested to see where you put your teams. So I think I'm we did feeling... the exact same prediction. That's right. I put uh, Malmo first, uh, Zenit second, <laughs> Chelsea third, and Juventus fourth. <laughs> All right, who do you have first? Chelsea. Chelsea's probably Chelsea. going to win the group. Chelsea. Yeah. By Chelsea will be there thereabouts at the end of this competition. So yeah, they could potentially win it again. So yep, yeah, first back-to-back English champions uh, since whatever <laughs> since Liverpool, I think. Liverpool won it back-to-back. I think so. Back in the eighties. Uh, no, bro, it was called. It wasn't called the Champions League back then. Right, it was it's the, the same. It's the same competition. Get no, no, it's, it it's the exact same competition. It's a UEFA Cup, Winners Cup, or something like that. Uh, no, no, it was not the Cup Winners Cup. That was a completely different thing. Oh, was it? It was, called, it was called the European Cup. Oh, yeah, that's right. What am I saying? The UEFA Cup, Winners Cup is all the, yeah, the domestic cu- the cup, cup winners. The Cup is a completely different thing. Yeah, the domestic no Cup winners. Exists. Yeah, that's right. They should bring it back. They really should, but it's sort of <laughs> kind of pointless because the team that wins the domestic cup is usually the team that's in the Champions League. True, true. Oh, well, not really. It's in the Europa League, if you think about it. Oh, I know. No, no the oh, team yeah, that yeah. usually wins the league's domestic cup is usually already qualified for the Champions League. Oh, yeah, okay. No, I give a trick. You know, I give a trick. You know. Yeah, no, Because it's not like back in the day in the Champions League when only one team per country qualified for it. It was just the team that won the league, the league that year qualified for the European Cup. So I guess, you know, to that end, uh, Chelsea first. Juve second. Chelsea first. Juve second. Zenit third and Malmo fourth. Zenit third and Malmo fourth. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that we both have similar predictions because usually um, we don't. We agreed, for, we agreed for quite a lot of stuff. I don't like that. Yeah, no. I, yeah, <laughs> no. Hmm. Hmm. I've been both, you know, falling under the same football school of thought. Maybe maybe a lot of the groups are just kind of easy to pick. To be honest, not because at least at least in the ones that were more of toss ups, we had some disagreement. We did. Really or if did. we if we agreed, in the groups that were more of toss ups, we sort of used the same logic behind it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's when you do your homework, at least you know it's things become somewhat straightforward in terms of predictions. Yeah, I'll say so. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're sheriff and you're really hard to research. <laughs> Even if you're sheriff and you're really hard to research. Okay, is there any other parting comments that you'd like to make for uh, the Champions League group stage? Uh, I hope someone interesting gets into the knockout stage. I don't want to see the same teams again. <laughs> and I hope sheriff win a game. That would be fun. That would be, be really funny. It would be really Sheriff fun. Sheriff Tiraspol they... wins a game. We can feel Madrid. Oh. Sheriff Tiraspol won Real Madrid won. Carlo Ancelotti loses his job the next day. <laughs> Bro, you know it's going to happen. Man. You know I it's going to happen. I would love that so much. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I pray I pray that um, they can pull an upset, even if it's against Shakhtar, you know. Get a win, right? Yeah, that's still, that's Make... still quite an upset. It is still quite an upset, especially, you know. And like, and like the story of Sheriff beating three very prominent Eastern European teams in their Champions League journey. Yeah. You know, showing who's boss. The pro... 
you know the pro soviet really... team playing on a cow pasture in moldova or transnistera really excuse me Russian i really need to moldova. see how the stadium looks like I, I i really do want to see how the stadium looks like they play at the oh it's a kind of nice it's pretty good yeah pretty nice stadium man I imagine the rest of the stadiums in Moldova don't look like that. <laughs> it's just a hunch. Just a hunch. You know, I mean, it's unnecessary. not going to lie. But I guess, you know, to sort of wrap things up, you know, we've, we've covered all 32 teams. In this uh, second part, we've covered groups E to H. And in the first part, if you haven't tuned in already, we covered groups A to D. Um, the Champions League is upon us uh, in a matter of weeks, you know. Um, but by the time you're hearing this, this will probably be, you know, a matter of days before the Champions League starts. Because we've recorded this pretty early. Uh, yeah, fair bit early, fair bit early. So hopefully no one gets injured. If not, uh, <laughs> yeah, that would know, ruin things. That would ruin things. But all things considered, Champions League is back in multiple ways for sure. All things considered, though, um, Champions League's back. Um, expect twists and turns, you know. Nothing's ever straightforward in the Champions League, you know. Things might seem straightforward on paper, but matches aren't won on paper. They're won on the pitch in 90 minutes. Give or take five, uh, give an extra time. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see who qualifies for the next stage of the Champions League, who gets knocked out of the Champions League and who qualifies for the Europa League instead. Lots to come uh, and yeah, I think that's about it on my end. Anything else that you'd like to add, Jack? Nothing else on my end. Cool. And I guess on that note, this has been Vikram. This has been Jack. And thank you once again for tuning into the Soccer Kaki's podcast. Stay tuned next week or stay tuned for the next episode rather where we cover more interesting topics as usual. And who knows, there might be another special guest on board to talk about an interesting topic. Until then, see you guys. Bye, y'all.